Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. What a great passage, hey? Gosh. I feel like a crocodile in a handbag factory right now. Six years ago today, Eddie and Angie got baptized. How cool is that? And uh, while I remember... Uh, to remind you, Encounter Prayer is on this evening, all these different prayer initiatives. You remember Matt talking about it uh, very passionately last week. Seven o'clock, how about seven, seven o'clock uh, here, uh, an opportunity to journey into the presence of uh, Jesus. I know those of you who've been to previous Encounter Prayers with Simon and Heather have uh, found that enormously helpful. Right, I just need to find some other things to avoid getting into the passage. Uh, let me tell you about what's happening just before Christmas. Uh, and then we plan to celebrate Easter next year, uh, and generally in between we'll come Sunday by Sunday. Right, here we go. Um, we talked last week about the way that verses 11 and 12, you need your Bibles open please, it'd be super helpful. Uh, it would encourage me, even if you're just staring into space, if you have them open in front of you. So uh, um, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, were like a kind of summary verse that then was getting applied to various scenarios. Uh, And we talked or we focused more last week on the way it's applied to governments. And uh, we also made reference to the way that that summary gets picked up in the way it's applied to our behavior in uh, the workplace. And uh, the reason we're talking about the workplace is that the section there about masters and slaves makes us think of the slave trade and so on. And I'm not in any way advocating that slavery is a good thing in any way, shape or form. But the context probably in which Peter was addressing was much more like an employment uh, context where servants in the house were absolutely owned and employed by their master. But but they equally uh, across the Roman Empire were, were well treated and so on, and often then given freedom. So, so it was that work context. How do you deal with the, the people that are in authority uh, over you? So that's the link there. Uh, and then uh, the home, which is where we kind of uh, get to uh, today, and especially marriage in uh, particular. So to put all of this into context, submission is the posture that Peter is saying that we need to, as Christian people, embrace, even when the environment is hostile, because we are submitting ultimately to the Lord, who is, over all, the one in charge. And verse 12 as an encouragement that as we live out this service to Jesus, this posture of of seeking each other's needs first, which is essentially what submission is all about. It's got nothing to do, by the way, with subjugation. 
Okay, so there is no defense here for any kind of abusive relationship. The Bible talks about those kinds of relationships in other places, and we will respond to those in different ways. This is about a spirit, an attitude of submission, submitting yourselves to other people's needs first. So uh, if you're applying this to a scenario that you think is abusive in some way, that's a different kind of conversation altogether, and not everything that I say can be taken and used in that context at all. So with that caveat, bear that in mind. But notice that verse 12, many will find faith because of this posture of submission. Now, the verses in particular about marriage have been a source of controversy for as long as probably all of us have been uh, alive. And for those of you this morning who, for whatever your circumstance, aren't married, can I encourage you to stick with it for us? Because when marriages are stable and work well, everybody gets blessed. Would you agree with that? You see, when marriages struggle and or fall apart, everyone gets wounded. I mean, it just happens, doesn't it? Nobody means to hurt anybody, but the fallout is very painful. There'll be nobody here who doesn't know the reality of the pain of when relationships don't work out. And so it is in all our interests for marriages to be strong and stable. What I said last week to David and uh, Shirley Gaffer celebrating their diamond wedding anniversary is true for all stable relationships is it creates a level of stability for all of us. And so we all need each other's help to ensure that our marriages are as strong and as stable as they possibly can for the benefit of all of us. Whether we're married right now, whether we have been married, whether one day we will be married, this really matters. And there isn't a good marriage that hasn't had outside help. You with me? I don't know a good marriage that hasn't had outside help. If you think you've got a brilliant marriage and you haven't had outside help, then you're doing brilliantly well, and I'd love to understand something of the secret of that. Because we need each other to make this thing work. Okay, so we're all in this uh, together, whatever our particular relational circumstance, hopes and longings are right now. And as you've heard me say a number of times, there'll be people here who are longing to be married, and there are people who are married and wishing they weren't. That's just, that's just the truth of a gathering of people and what we will uh, what we, you experience if you um, get to know what's going on behind the surface, behind the doors of our homes and our houses. Okay, some general comments to create a framework before we look at the verses in particular. First comment is this, submission is the kingdom way. Seeking the needs of others, serving Putting others first, submission is the kingdom way. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. And the first person to find it in the Pew Bible has the privilege of sharing the page name with the rest of us. Sorry? 1014. 1014. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. 1015, 1014 plus 1, 1015. 
in, um, in the NIV, I think the paragraph heading is Jesus predicts his death a third time. So he's been going on about it, so to speak. This isn't the first time he's mentioned it. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, verse 32, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Verse 33, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered, will be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over. He will submit himself to uh, the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Who is leading the way in submission? Jesus. Absolutely. The whole notion of being delivered up or handed over is, is that he will do that of his own free will. The one who has no reason whatsoever on the face of the planet to submit to anything on planet Earth, submits, hands himself over. Don't turn to this, but John 10 verse 18 might be familiar to some of you. Jesus said, just to make it clear to those who are wondering, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own Accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So who's submitting first? Jesus. Absolutely no question about it. You're still in Mark chapter 10. Look at the very next verse. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, of magic roundabout fame, came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Verse 36. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. We want to sit in the best seats because the best seats were for those who were in charge. John and James, or James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were saying, we just want to make sure, Jesus, that when we come in your kingdom, we'll be the top dogs. We'll be the ones in charge. Or to use the words of a Baptist principle, we'll be the top banana men when we come in your kingdom. That's what we want. Will it go our way? Will I get what I want? Am I the one in charge? That's what they're asking. And Jesus is emphatic in his response. Jesus called them together. It's like, gosh, this is a teaching moment, you know. Hang about, fellas. Let's gather everybody. This is a big moment because what's going on here needs an absolute radical addressing. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles... Lord it over them. They delight in being in charge. It matters to them. It's important to them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, what does it say? Not so with you. Jesus is saying there is a whole world that is always asking the question, am I in charge? Is this going to go my way? Can I take control of this environment? And will others dance to my tune? And Jesus says, if you want to be part of this new kingdom way, it will not be like that. The kingdom is a different way. 
They were asking the wrong question. The question is not, how can I make sure I'm in charge? The question is, how can I become a better servant? That's the kingdom way. We haven't got anywhere near marriage yet. This is the way of life that we have all entered into. Deliberate allusion to the marriage service there. See what I did there? This is the way of life they are about to begin. This is the way of life all of us in Christ have committed ourselves to. The whole world wants to be in charge and in control. We've been called to a totally different way where the question is, how can I be a better servant? These verses have caused so much trouble because we instinctively approach them with the question, who's in charge? Am I in charge, says the husband. Mm, Looks like, jolly good. Who's in charge, says the wife. Mm, Doesn't look too good for me, but don't think for a minute I'm going to do what that oath of the husband says. And that's how we kind of engage with the text. Am I in charge? Uh, No. Submission is kingdom way. Jesus modeled it and Jesus taught it. A totally, radically different way to the world. Are we outliers living outside the norm of things? Absolutely. This is a radical agenda for a totally different way of doing relationships, whatever the context of those relationships, be it government, be it workplace, be it home, be it in the church. We're a radically different agenda for our relationships. Be holy. Be totally different as I am holy, says the Lord. Echoes of those earlier verses in 1 Peter a few weeks ago. Look further, what did Jesus say about discipleship? Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is Matthew chapter 16, you you don't need to turn to it necessarily, but it's there on the screen, you can if you want to, just to check I'm not making it up. Whoever wants to be my disciple must... You struggling to read everybody? Oh, sticks in the throat a little bit, doesn't it? Oh... Can we get that out? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, which was the way of ultimate sacrifice, the service of giving everything, and follow me. If submission is the kingdom way, then this is true for all of us. This is the way of life that we have embraced in Jesus Christ. If submission is the kingdom way, it's also the way to resurrection. For those, that verse in Matthew 16, the very next verse says, whoever wants to save their life will what? Whoever goes, I'm in charge, it's going to go my way, I'm going to take control. You've already lost it, Jesus says. You've already missed the point. You're already outside the kingdom principle and purpose. But whoever loses their life, whoever gives of themselves, well, paradoxically, miraculously, incredibly, they will find it. 
And that's what we read, of course, in Mark chapter 10. I hope you didn't miss it, that final bit. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. He will go the way of submission and they will mock him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. Then what will happen three days later? He will rise. Let's have a big cheer. It's almost like the way of submission works. Oh, there's a thought. You see, it's a question of trust. It's a question of trust. Are you in charge? No. Jesus is in charge. Are you, are you in charge? No. Turn to the person next to you and said, do you know you're not in charge, don't you? <clears throat> the question now is, if we know that we're not in charge, if Jesus is in charge, the question is, will you trust in Jesus who is in charge? And will you demonstrate that trust in Jesus by doing it His way? His way is the way of submission. Deny self, take up cross, and follow. And why is it a question of trust? It's a question of trust because if I submit in my marriage, then I won't be in control. And the other person might take advantage of me not being in control. They might take advantage of my vulnerability. So will we trust that at the end of the day, Jesus is in control? And he is the one that we can trust. And therefore, as Peter said just a few verses earlier, we can live as free men and women, whatever the authorities or whatever people around us seek to take control of us, because in the end, Jesus is in charge. Will we trust him in our relationships? Do I trust him enough to become a servant? It's important, you see, not as we come to this, that this isn't just an issue for marriage. This is a way of life. You with me? It's not like we're all jogging along, all in control of our lives, very happy that we're independent people, we're all in charge, and then suddenly out of nowhere, Paul or Peter says to wives or to husbands, you've got to submit. What? Where did that come from? What's that all about? Submitting? That sounds awful. This is the way of life to which we have all been called. Wives, submit to your husbands, of course. Is there another kingdom way? To relate to somebody else. Husbands have similar responsibilities to seek the needs of their wives first. Of course. Is there another way to do relationships? Jesus says, no, absolutely not. This is the kingdom way. And if anyone had any good reason not to go the kingdom way, it would have been Jesus. Don't you agree? I mean, if anyone had any On there on that cross, he could have called down, I don't know, tens of thousands of angels to sort things out. And he said, no, this is the better, best way. This is the way that unlocks something that will ultimately change the whole world. So, a few things as we read these verses. First question, we've already 
alluded to this. Am I asking the wrong question? Probably. Because every time people talk to me about these verses, they're talking about who's in charge. But I just want to know who's in charge. Who is it in charge? Is it me or is it him? Is it her or is it me? Who's in, who's in charge? All marriage conflict has at its root the anxiety that you're not in control enough. You're not in charge enough. It's not going your way enough. The better question, how can I be a greater servant? How can I submit more fully to the needs, the wants, the longings, the desires, the aspirations of everyone around me, and especially that person to whom I've given the whole of my life? Jesus is in charge. I mean, that's a relief, isn't it? Honestly, Jesus is in charge, and that's why we can live free. Live as free men, live as free women, because he's in charge. Okay, am I asking the wrong question? Probably. Am I seeing how radical these verses are? Now, I don't in any way mean to be demeaning or patronizing towards women, But these verses were written in a particular context. And in their particular context, these verses are absolutely, astonishingly radical in favor of women. There is no other literature in ancient civilization that honors women in the way these verses do. Very simply... We've been talking about Jesus at the end of chapter 2. And remember, there were no divisions, chapter 2 or chapter 3. And immediately, Peter says, just as Jesus has done his part in being fully serving in God's kingdom, now in the same way, the women, the wives, get to do that. They get to fully participate in God's kingdom purpose. We might lose the weight of that because of our current context, but that was absolutely astonishingly massive. I can't over-egg the impact of what was being said in that context. Ironic, therefore, that often these verses have been continually used to assert in some way, shape, or form the subjugation of women in various forms. These were incredibly radical words because the Bible is unbelievably radical towards women. Think about what Paul says, and some of you think, well, Paul, he was a bit of a nut job. He didn't like women very much. But think about what he said. So um, this is Galatians chapter 3. We'll get to verse 28, but let me read just a few before that. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. You are all children of God. In that context, that is a massive statement because it wasn't like that in their culture. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. 
We all stand equal before the cross. We are all uniquely made in the same way in his image. We all are of equal value, equal immense worth that the Son of God would die for every one of us. And then verse 29 is like the killer um, argument. If you belong to Christ, male or female, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Why is that such a powerful statement? In that culture, who got the inheritance? The man and the firstborn man. What Paul is saying, that everyone in Christ, male or female, firstborn or fourthborn or ninthborn, or anyone part of a family bigger than that, eleventhborn, 15th born, you all get the inheritance. Yes. Oh, I was pleased by that. I thought that was good. We are co-heirs, male and female. We are all like firstborn sons. So reading this, you need to understand that the kind of uh, massive push against the culture that was going on in the, 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 the establishing of women as being equal in, in, in every way in terms of God's kingdom purpose and salvation. Equal honor, equally made in the image of God, equally worthy of his saving grace and so on. There is also a sense in which perhaps no one would have batted an eyelid about wives submitting to their husbands because it was just the way it was. But read on, and you have to ask the question, am I hearing how they would have heard these words? You see, what they would have heard is that the emphasis in these verses is not on the woman, but on the man. What would have astonished the readers is that the men were being held to account in exactly the same way. The obligation was being placed on men in the same way that it was being placed on the women. In a world where the man could do what he wants, no one really calls him to account, especially with his property and his possessions and his family, he was in charge. He is being called to account to take responsibility in exactly the same way. You can imagine these women going, hey, you've got to do it as well. Because that's the impact that these verses would have had in that culture. We see it even clearer in in Ephesians. So the cultural jolt, the ouch, would have been towards the men, not with the women. It's odd, isn't it? Now, in today's culture, we read it, and it's the women that go, ouch, and the men go, jolly good. But in that, it was the other way around. It was the men that would have felt the pinch, the ouch of these words. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How much did Christ give for the church? Everything. So to help us grasp these words in their context, am I asking the wrong question? It's not a question of who's in charge. Am I seeing how radical they are, incredible honor to women? Am I hearing how they would have been heard, the impact, the ouch would have been towards the man? Finally, am I aghast at the invitation? Am I aghast 
at the invitation. What Peter is saying and what we read in Scripture in the New Testament elsewhere is that to live this kind of way in marriage is an invitation to paint a picture, to create a window on what God is doing in the world. To live this way in marriage is to sing the song of salvation to which the universe chimes. To live this way in marriage is an opportunity to display to the world what Christ is doing for his church. And sometimes you'll say, am I talking about marriage or am I talking about the church? Paul will kind of mess with his readers and say one is illustrative of the other. Male and female, this amazing invitation and one of the staggering kind of ruining of marriage that's happening in our society has at its root such a profound underlying disregard for what Christ is doing in the world. Because there is this incredible opportunity, this high calling of marriage, where we get to display something beautiful through our lives. It's not the only way, but it is a way that Scripture highlights. Let's zoom in on these verses a little bit more and draw out some thoughts if you still got any emotional energy left. This way of marriage wins the lost. This way of marriage. Can you read that there? In verse 1. This way of marriage wins the lost. The particular context in which Peter was writing was that there were lots of uh, Christians who were married to unbelieving husbands. Uh, And this is his advice to them in that context. But it also has a wider context, I think. You see, when we create stable marriages and stable family, we create an environment into which people can be drawn and discover what creates life within that home and within that culture. It's no accident, is it, that Peter talked about us building spiritual oikos, spiritual extended families. And that's not excluding people who aren't married because Jesus built an extended family as a single man. This is a a way of life that's open to all of us. But it is true that in marriage, when we create a stable home, just like any and every stable set of relationships that are created, we do uh, create perhaps a foundation on which others can stand. Or to use the image that Jesus used about a tree with many branches, uh, a tree with many branches under which many people can come and shelter. you with me? And there's this beautiful picture emerging in 1 Peter of, of, of households, however they are formed, not just through male and female marriage, but through friendships and networks and so on, creating these oikoses, these places of shelter, these places of stable community into which others can come and find faith. And so when someone reaches their diamond wedding anniversary... We should be very, very grateful. And we should sing uh, and celebrate from the hilt because they're creating something that helps us all. This way of marriage wins the loss. This way of marriage is for husband and wife. Wives submit in the same way as Jesus submitted. Husbands also in the same way submit as Jesus submitted. We'll say a bit more about that in just a moment. And so there is this mutual responsibility 
to live out the way of submission, which is no surprise because the Gospels and the life of Jesus has already established that that's the way relationships work. This is not something peculiar to marriage. This is the way it's particular in marriage, but it's not exclusive for marriage. This is the way of life to which we've been called. So the wife submits to the husband. The husband needs to love Christ as Christ gave himself for the church. In other words, the husband needs to give everything he has for the needs and, uh, and, and desires of his wife. And so it goes round in a loop. So you have wife, husband, Jesus, wife, husband, Jesus. You have a dance of serving, a dance of submission. And you shouldn't be surprised at that because can you think of another dance of submission that's been going on since before the creation of the world? Involving three people. Come on, top tip. Absolutely. It mirrors something that is true in the very essence of the way the world exists. And so there's this mutual dance of seeking out each other's needs. And we can wriggle out of this, that, and the other by saying all kinds of things because, oh, well, someone wants to be in charge. Go, well, what about male headship? Absolutely, that's a headship of responsibility. And Jesus said, and Paul says, you take responsibility by giving up yourself for your wife. That sounds a bit like submitting to me. And so it goes on. And it's not peculiar to marriage, but perhaps it finds its sharpest edge in marriage because actually living with someone is hard work. Have you noticed that? It's the hardest work, isn't it? It's easier to like you because you can go home and I can go home. We just go, (gasps) but when you can't go home from the person that you, because you are home, that's the hardest deal, isn't it? So in a sense, marriage gets the sharpest expression of what is true in this new kingdom way, which is why often you will hear at weddings a cord of three strands cannot be broken. Honestly, two strands You're taking your baggage and they're taking their baggage and you're trying to make it, oh, honestly, how hard is that? It's hard enough with Jesus in the middle, isn't it? But we need the cord of three strands. Notice the bit about fear. Notice the bit about fear that I've put on the screen. It's there in the middle. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. That's back to that issue of trust again. If I submit, my spouse doesn't, they will take advantage of me Therefore, I need to stay in control. Therefore, I cannot be vulnerable. You're being driven by fear. By fear. I'm afraid that if I behave in this way that Jesus asked me to, someone else will take advantage of me. You're driven by fear. What did Jesus say about fear? What did the gospel say about fear? What did 1 John famously say about fear and perfect Love, driving out fear. Remember, submission is about trust. I'm going to overcome my fear because I'm going to trust in Jesus who is in charge. And we need to help each other in this, honestly. Men, if you want your wife to submit to you, then all you've got to do is start loving her like Christ loved the church. Sacrifice everything for her. And honestly, I don't know many women who aren't willing to submit to someone who will give their all for them. Women, if you want your husband to put your needs first, trust what Jesus says and offer the posture of submission and stop trying to do to seize control. It's the dance of seeking each other's needs first that is the kingdom way. And it's true for marriage above all else. So, 
This way of marriage, firstly, wins the loss. Secondly, is for husband and wives. Thirdly, requires understanding and knowledge. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. It's an unfortunate translation, I think, because it's a bit weak. It, um, uh, other, other versions, ESV, for example, talks about uh, understanding. The root word is knowledge. If you're really going to love your wives, husbands, you've got to know about them. You've got to know about them. You have to make them your life study. And there's a principle there, isn't there? If we're really going to love each other, if I'm really going to seek someone else's needs first, I need to understand their needs as well as I need to understand my own. We love my neighbor as myself. It's not that I don't have any needs and I don't need to understand my needs. I absolutely need to understand my own needs. But if I'm to love someone else, I need to understand their needs. Most trouble in marriages for about the first 50 years It's because people don't understand each other's needs. I'd love a gift. So I give a gift. Hmm, Whatever. I'd love someone to say nice things to me. Nice things are pointless. And so we miss each other because we do not understand each other's needs. We are super, Karen and I are super fans of five love languages. Because it really helps. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google five love languages, five different ways that we give and receive love. You will have one that's your dominant one. And if you want to feel loved, that's what you will need to feel loved. And if you want your partner to feel loved, you do not do what you want. You need to do what they want. So Joel's already decided that he needs a wife that's into physical touch. And gifts of pizza. The trouble is, what he needs to know is what she needs, otherwise he won't get either. And that's the challenge of our lives. I've got to work out what they need. It's true in your small group, isn't it? It's true with your parents. It's true with your kids. You see, this is not a way of life for marriage. This is a way of life. If I don't understand what you need, how can I serve you? So five languages, great fan of that. Myers-Briggs, great fan of that as well. It's a a personality type. In fact, all the personality types have got good things. Uh, We're spending quite a bit of time looking at the Enneagram at the moment, Kerry and I. Uh, Super helpful insights. Five graces, remember those? What are they? Oh, I only preached the whole of the autumn on this, so help me out now. Look at that. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. We are all dominant in one. And if you're dominant in one and your partner will almost certainly be dominant in another, unless you understand that, you will struggle. That's why going on holiday is such a stress. Because you want to do it that way and they want to do it that way. That's why planning something is such a stress, because they want to do it that way and you want to do it that way. That's why the way you approach parenting is a stress, because they want to do it that way and you want to do it that way. And unless we understand that, how are we going to serve each other? And sometimes people say to me, oh, but all that stuff is to do with work. Are you honestly telling me that you will put more effort into your work relationships than into your marriages and into your family and into your parenting? Super important things. We'll put some links out. Claire, put a few links on social media about all that stuff. That would be really helpful. Time and effort to become students of our spouses. To help us, 
Kerry and I do something very simple that's been very helpful for us. It's called the marriage questions. You can find them anywhere, probably, if you Google them. I don't know where they came from. I don't even know if we're doing them right. I don't even know if they're the right questions. But it works for us. You see, it doesn't care. Do you know why it doesn't matter? These are the questions. What brought you... So we do this every week. Every week we sit down. I say every week. You know, it's like saying I do my quiet time every day. Do you know? And you go... We, we do this probably 45 weeks a year. Okay? So we do miss. But so just to give you a, a level of our commitment to it. We do it for half an hour every Monday morning before we come into church. This is what we do. What brought you joy this last week? It's a conversation. We both have to speak. What have you found hard this last week? That's a tricky one, especially for men. I don't know. (laughs) Honestly, you've got to work it out, what you found hard. What can I pray for? That's quite easy because it's about the other person, isn't it? You like those questions. What can I pray for? But then the other question comes back as another flip. What one thing can I do to bless you this week? That's an easy question to ask, but a hard question to answer. What one thing this coming week can I do to bless you? What dreams or thoughts or desires have been uppermost in your heart this last week? I know that's another tricky one. Men, nil point. We've got to work at this stuff. Anything unsaid or unresolved? Anything unsaid or unresolved? Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. You know, sometimes you're acting in your relationship about something that happened six months ago or two years ago. Are you with me? And suddenly you wake up and you think, gosh, I'm holding on to something from way back and I'm acting out of that. Keep shorter accounts. And then in the marriage questions, it says every kind of quarter or every kind of six weeks, you've got to choose what works for you. Talk about your sex life. Talk about your finances. And if those other earlier questions haven't got you going, those two definitely will. (laughs) This way of marriage requires understanding and it requires honor and respect. And there's these reflection about the weaker partner. And this is awkward, isn't it? And I... Uh, trying to understand what was culturally true, what was really going on, or how we apply it to our, our, our lives. Honestly, it's, it's hard to say that uh, men, uh, so women that are physically weaker when they have the babies. I mean, that's tough, isn't it, girls? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the cheek for blokes to go, ah, oh, we're much stronger. Honestly, the human race would have died out generations ago. It's hard to say, isn't it, that women are kind of physically weaker when, when we get man flu. Can't do anything. For six months, I sneezed. It's tough, isn't it? Emotionally... It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to say that, that, that women are emotionally weaker because sometimes they're well tough. You with me, boys? You know, sometimes it's the women that keep hanging on to things. I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, keep going with stuff when it's really tough. When they take the, the emotional pressure of the family, take the emotional pressure. And you might say, though, on the flip side, that there are 
ways in which women are, are physically weaker. We have separate Olympics and separate this and that because we recognize that our bodies are different. And personally, I'm quite grateful that women's bodies are different uh, because that's how God made us. And there's a beauty about that difference and that quote-unquote weakness. Women are emotionally, generally speaking, weaker in the sense that they are more sensitive. But is that really a weakness or is that an incredible strength? And so I think as Peter starts talking about, I don't know whether he got it in the neck or what happened to him when he started talking about weakness. But for me, it highlights something super important. That it's a partnership, isn't it? And in some areas, you will be weaker. And in some areas, we are weaker. And we need to honor and respect each other in our weaknesses. None of us flourish by constantly being told where we're weaker. None of us flourish by being constantly told where we're weaker. We need to honor and respect one another in our weaknesses. And that's again about about serving one another, about understanding one another, about working this whole thing out. Because there are, honestly, there are some areas of marriage where you are probably a right muppet. And there are other areas of marriage where your spouse absolutely needs your strength. And that goes both ways. That's why it was not good for man to be alone. Because we need each other. The way of marriage requires honor and respect. Therefore, Paul writes of his relationship with Jesus, but I think it's true for all our relationships. I'm going to boast about my weakness because in my weakness, it makes room for God's strength. And that's true in human relationships. When I am weak, when I am vulnerable real connection happens. Real relationship comes out of weakness, not out of strength. Real relationship comes out of weakness, not out of strength. Brené Brown and all that stuff about vulnerability that she's unlocked over these last few years is super important for us as Christians to, to grasp hold of. Because true connection, what Paul is saying here about our connection with Jesus, true connection is made when I am open about my weakness. It's absolutely the same in marriage. Oh, but he or she will walk all over me. That's why it's a question of trust. If Jesus is in charge, will I demonstrate that by doing it his way? so much in there. We're going to just pause for a moment. There's, there's so many of us here in different spaces, different places, different relationships. Some of us long to be in them, as Simon said. Some of us long to not be in them anymore. And we're just going to pause for a moment as the band come up. And we're just going to ask God, what are you filtering to me? What are you trying to encourage me in? What are you challenging me in? Let's just take a moment of quiet before God. And right at the beginning, uh, Simon was talking about how submission 
is the way of the kingdom. And so our first response is before God to say, you are my Lord. You are my king. I am nothing without you. You are greater than anything else in my life. I give it all to you. And so John's going to lead us uh, before we respond anymore with a song that just says, I give it all to you. I love you and I put you as Lord. So let's stand together and sing.